because I know you are uh, crunched for time. So okay. is, it, is it your dad's birthday? It is. It's his 72nd birthday today. Oh, wow. Very cool. Very cool. Yes, my, my parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary on Thursday. Mine's August. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I was looking. We had dinner or lunch with them yesterday. We went up. My brother and his wife were there. And I'm like, none of us are ever going to see that because, you know, I've been remarried. My brother's been remarried. <laughs> we're never going to see 50 years. <laughs> Yeah, well, what our parents have done and what we all have to go through in life is a little different anymore. So, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. So, yeah. Well, we're just going to jump right into it. So, you just celebrated 10 years of sobriety. Awesome. I did. Thank you very much. Yes, 10 years. It's been a, a long battle, but um, we're here. So, yeah. did you ever, was, is it continuous? Did you ever have any relapses or anything? Um, the very beginning I did, I had, uh, um, well, I started in 2011 and, uh, I, I, I went to, I went to rehab twice and I, I went to, uh, a, a multiple times. And, um, so, uh, anytime I, I talk about my story, it always makes me very anxious. So just a little disclosure, don't take it personal if I look away or have distractions. I have major social anxiety as, as it may not seem. Um, I have to talk my that a lot sometimes in my head. So, and I, that's part of my story, but um, yeah, 10 years. And um, I did have relapses. I went to AIM probably, I think eight, seven or eight times. And you know, the first few times they're full of fuzzy. So, um, but I started counting, counting months and days. And um, I noticed that, it got to be all at once, two months, three months, four months. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a real deal. I'm like, this is becoming a routine. This is becoming something that I can get used to. And of course, I was doing the whole, you know, AA type of uh, 90 days, 90 meetings, 90 days. And I was I was in there and I was I was hitting sometimes two meetings a day. Um, but I was doing the uh, IOP meetings, the, the daytime, um, you know, I went to the in in house and then, and then I went home and did the outhouse uh, rehab where, you know, you go all to the meetings and then you, you you meet with all these different people and then you go home and then and then I was living back with my family at 33 years old. I moved back in. It was really it was a hard situation. I was on my own, you know. Went to college, everything. I was teaching. Um, I've been teaching for 17 years. So wow. let me just put that out there and. Um, I had obviously take a major break in life when I had to slow down and start over. So, um, you know, it, it took a long, a long battle to get comfortable with a routine with, I think a lot of us in recovery. And I know that you're, you are one uh, that, that finds routine to be very helpful. And, um, for me, I didn't understand that at first. I thought I could just live my life normally like I used to, um, without the drink. And I knew that, you know, that eventually would probably catch up with me and it did. <clears throat> so what was Eddie? I didn't even say your name. Eddie is here from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, so what was your rock bottom? I mean, was it the teaching? Did you have teenagers you were teaching? And that's what the ultimate thing was. <laughs> I, I wish I could say, I wish because teenagers are great. Um, you know, <laughs> honestly, my rock bottom I think was personal relationships with people and romantic relationships, um, combination of balancing finances, um, dealing with, with anxiety. 
um, and then anxiety, uh, you know, it's twin is, is depression and, uh, and, and dealing with that and fighting through, um, finding a reason to want to live. I fought suicide a lot in 2010. Um, and I was still actively drinking then and, uh, and smoking weed too. Uh, and I would try to do the marijuana maintenance, um, for me. Um, and every time I used to smoke and I, and I know there's a lot of people that believe in marijuana and I, nothing against those people. I, I would smoke and I would give up drinking for about three days. And then I would start feeling, Oh, I'm good. I'm feeling great. I'm feeling awesome. So then I would just go right back into a beer and a beer would lead to a shot. And then a shot would lead to vodka, which was my, which was my devil drink in a way. So I wouldn't even order vodka out in places. I would just wait till I got back home and I would drink vodka. And, and then I would just put it on ice with a little splash of maybe Sprite or, or anything. I sometimes, most times I would just put it in the freezer and pull it right out and put it in a glass and drink it like straight water. And, uh, and, but no bottoms. Um, oh my gosh. I had multiple bottoms with many relapses. Uh, uh, you know, I did, um, I did get into some trouble and went to jail twice. Um, uh, drunken disturbances. Um, none of those you know, followed me in life with, uh, you know, community service and lots of praying and, and asking for forgiveness from the judges. And uh, um, let's see, I, I probably should have had at least three DUIs. Um, I had two police officers let me go that knew me and uh, one that drove my car home once. Um, I, I fell asleep numerous times behind the wheel. Um, uh, let's see. <sighs> you know, waking up in the middle of the night, gagging multiple times, um, you know, peeing in bed, you know, uh, you know, where do we start with the bottom? 2010 was that year. So, um, a failed, failed relationship, which I, in my mind and my heart believed that I was going to marry. Um, I, I had everything set out for that. And I, for some reason thought this relationship will get me over the hump to, to complete my sobriety and I will be sober then and I will forget about alcohol and I will forget about marijuana. And, you know, so then, you know, the bottoms would go like every six months, like I would get a serious, serious bottom. It would scare the life out of me. And then I would go and I'm okay for a little bit, smoke some weed, drink some beer. Oh, I feel a lot better. I'm doing better. You know, I got this. And then it would hit me again where I would end up in, in a major problem. And, uh, I just remember all at once it's 2011 and I'm waking up in a hospital bed and uh, this was my third stay. And when I was in the hospital on New Year's Eve of all times, um, New Year's Eve, 2011, I woke up um, and I had my family there. I, <laughs> they had nurses in there. They even had a police officer in there. And I guess the reason why the police officer was there is because they said that I was being so obnoxious drunk that they couldn't get me to calm down in the, in the room. They were just trying to get an IV in me at the time. And I, I, I don't remember any of this. I was a blackout. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, my mom just kind of kept telling, trying to tell me when I got sober that, you know, years down the line, they finally told me about that night and they, they just, it's still a trauma experience for them. And there's a lot of trauma that they've dealt with through this. So some therapies and stuff that we've all had to do through that, but it's gotten better. And, um, you know, there's a lot of stories, there's a lot of these kind of stories that I dealt with. Um, so 2010, 2011 was the definite, was near death uh, many a times. And that one on New Year's Eve was really bad. I was supposed to perform a show at the Quaff. Um, we had sold over 300 tickets. Um, I had a full 
full establishment, full, all three rooms, if you're familiar with the quaff. And uh, it was full. It was ready to go. And I decided to wake up that morning and start drinking. I was probably at 10 in the morning. And I took a bar of Xanax. And I just remember thinking how anxious I was and scared. And, um, you know, I come from a history of performing and doing things. And I, and I, and I, and I tend to always do better when I fight through it and get through it and, and I accomplishment. Those accomplishments didn't come until sobriety and until recovery, until I felt like, okay, now I can beat this anxiety. I can perform in front of people. I can get up on stage and read in front of people. And I can do this sober well, years of drinking. I would, I would fail multiple times and I would forget lines and shows or different things or mess up names at weddings when I had to announce different people's names and different things. So yeah, it bottom my my direct bottom was 2010, 2011. That was the worst. So. Do you do you sing? You say and perform. Do you sing? I do. I, I I do. I used to sing it at weddings. I've sang at many funerals. Um, unfortunately, I, uh, I I I went to college for vocal performance and music education and elementary. So, um, I. I did. I, I performed in, you know, well, I was always in the top high school chorals, then college chorals. And, you know, and then when I got out of college, I worked for a karaoke company and I basically would sing at every one of those gigs. And then I would perform with, with jazz bands in different places, but more of the DJing. The DJing really took off. I worked for Radio Disney, 1190 AM here in Kansas City, which now is now not a functioning station. They closed down and closed this station down here. And uh, but I used to do the Sunday shows from eight to noon on that, and then on radio, and did a lot of work with old DJ Kirby that used to work for Mix ninety three, and that was when I was in my young twenties. And um, so a lot of you know big big performances on on that with radio, and then in, in live, I used to work. I don't know if you remember Club Envy uh, in Kansas City, and uh, I used to um, do Fridays there and uh, for about a year. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of different major gigs like that. But um, the Quaff has been family for life. And uh, I signed on basically kind of a handshake agreement. And uh, that's where I've been as a part-time job for, well, until now. So um, I basically gave up, like, you know, big venues, all kinds of major things when I decided to get and. When I got sober, it was like, okay, I'll work here, but I know that the Quaff is family and, and, and they're going to keep me accountable. And at, at first that was nice, but I have to keep myself accountable. So, um, you know, it, it's just worked out. It really has. It's a, it's a fine balance of education and doing what I strive to what I want to do is work with autistic children and then, you know, perform in front of people and do what I need to do for a family organization bar downtown. So, and, mm -hmm. and I love urban community. I I've lived in Kansas city, downtown area here, um, for two, since 2005. And, uh, I've been through it all that we've all experienced with some of this mass hysterica, like last night in Westport. And I've seen a lot of it here in, in downtown Kansas city and I've stuck through it. And except for the six months that I moved to Lee summit to live with my family when I was 33 for rehab. So, um, yeah, so I, I've seen a lot, and, and I, I'm not. I, I, I continue to fight and stay in this this service industry part time because I believe 
that there's a lot of people in the service industry that that they think they have to drink or party to be in this. And there's a lot of people that need part-time jobs that that want to make more money or want to supply their needs. Or maybe they like me, I, I, I had to work for a long time to get out of debt, you know? And so as a teacher, like I, there's no way to pay off some of those debts that I put myself under and medical bills, um, legal bills, you know? And finally I can say now that I have about $3,000 that I need to pay on my credit card. But other than that, <laughs> I know. That's and that's pretty big for me because I was over ten thousand and more um, back then. So it's taken a little bit. Now I've traveled a lot. I've been dating a girl who lives in California, and uh, we met in Las Vegas, and and we've been dating for over a year now. And uh, so it's been one of those situations where it's pricey, and you know, and there's a lot of expenses there. But we're hoping to, you know, move closer together here in the next uh, within the next year. So awesome! That's great. What part of California is she in? She lives in Valencia, which is north, I think, of LA. Yeah. 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 Is she in recovery too, or is she just a regular person? Just uh, she's a normie, as we yeah. want to call them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were talking about, you know, anxiety and depression. And yeah, I went through all that too. And um, I didn't realize until I got sober that the drinking actually made my depression worse. <laughs> Was it like that for you too? Yeah, it did. There was some, there was some direct, some direct fears and bottoms there with that. I mean, obviously the suicide, I, I would wake up and have those, those dry phlegm throw ups where it was like, you know, like, what am I, what, what the, I mean, what the heck am I doing? You know? And, um, it, it was hard. Um, I remember looking in, my, in the mirror multiple times in the bathroom sink. I wouldn't even make it to the toilet in my old place that I lived. And, um, I, I, I remember numerous times debating, should I just find a way? And luckily back then, I mean, I, there wasn't medications around me or anything like that. There wasn't avenues and I, maybe I wasn't smart enough either, or maybe I wasn't brave enough, but I think the depression really put me in a state of, I didn't want to eat. I, I, I didn't want to do anything. I never wanted to leave. I called in sick to my, my daytime positions um, I didn't show up for family events. 2011, I didn't show up for Christmas. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a long list of that kind of stuff. So that depression really, and you know, in sobriety, I've had a lot of bumps. I mean, there's been a lot of horrible things in 2014 in sobriety. I changed positions from a job that I was at forever operation breakthrough. And, uh, that was a major deal. Um, the Royals got to be in the playoffs for first time ever. And, uh, I was, around a lot of people drinking and partying, uh, you know, remain sober in the Chiefs Super Bowl run, you know, I mean, you name it. I mean, there's been, I'm a big sports person, as you probably can tell. So I, I love that kind of stuff. And a lot of that includes alcohol, unfortunately. And, um, but we find ways, you know, we find ways to, to make life livable through that. And that's part of my, my voice is that I try to use my platforms that I have to get out there and say, look, people that are in the service industry, people that feel you have to drink at a football game, you can, you can do this. You can enjoy, you know, one of my favorite things about going to T-Mobile Center, what we called Sprint Center growing up, is I love their chocolate chip cookies. I will get one of those and I'll get a Diet Coke or a Sprite. And that's one of my favorite things about going to concerts there. And, and some people would be like, that's so, 
that's so like not me. I would never think about that. But there's little things that are rewards to us in sobriety, like maybe rolling through Westport and driving through Andy's custard or something, you know. Um, possibly it's a sonic run on a late night, you know. I don't know. It's little rewards that I find like things I never would have thought of years ago. And I would have thought, oh my God, I'm gonna gain a thousand pounds from that. Well, how many pounds have you drank? You know, how many pounds did you eat after you got high? And you smoke the bowl or whatever. I mean, some of these people out here, I believe, really try to push their narratives. And I get that. My narrative is just stay, just stay freaking sober. Just deal with your side of the of 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 the, of the street, you know, deal with it. And so when I get into my emotions, when I get into my you know, anxiety, I get into my depression, you know, obviously I I have a doctor and um I I, I wouldn't say I'm on a lot of medication. I do take 50 milligrams of Zoloft. Um, and that, that came about halfway through by sobriety when I was starting to really, you know, have some feelings of, of really weird stuff. And I was like, not suicidal, but I was, I would tell my medical doctor, um, you know, this is the way I'm feeling. And he was, he was very, he was actually in recovery himself. So, um, and he still is. And I still had the same doctor. So, I won't name his name, obviously, but he always would try to make sure I was not going back towards anything that would get me in a wrong path. Let's say that. Right. So, so we talked through that a lot. And, um, you know, with, with exercise, uh, I, I drink a gallon, I drink a gallon of water a day. Um, you know, I, you know, I still eat the sweets, you know, I have little avenues, little breaks and stuff. And so I, I just, I just kind of make this thing work. And that's why, you know, years ago in the middle of sobriety, I felt like, you know, oh my God, I, I want to drink. I want something. I want to get high. I mean, I, I see all these different avenues out here now. They've got this medical marijuana. That sounds cool. Is, is K2 all right? You know, I had all kinds of questions and I was curious about stuff and I'd be like taking it to a meeting and I'd be like, okay, all right, do you guys feel this? Do you guys understand what I'm, and I have a sponsor and mm -hmm. we would talk about all that stuff, you know, and you know, all these conversations would, would basically be over in like two minutes. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> smack, you know? Smack. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's what goes on between here. It's like, yeah. it's playing, it's playing ping pong. It's, a, it's straight ping pong. So, you know, at nighttime, a lot of people like to get up in the morning and work out. Maybe that's what everybody loves. I don't know. I personally like nighttime workouts. So I like walking at night or bike riding at night or treadmilling or whatever, because this thing won't shut down. And so for me to sleep and to relax, it, you know, my, my girlfriend got a little, weirded out at first when I used to like want to go work out at 9 p.m. at night and she's like this is calm down time I'm, I'm ready to sleep we got completely different styles she gets up in the morning she's all energetic I'm like I like to sleep as long as I can and then get a cup of coffee maybe read through my tweets and see what goes on in the world and then I start roaring and as that anxiety starts firing up with that caffeine then I take off and see then I fight through my anxiety because like like right now I feel comfortable unlike when we first started this conversation. So, you know, it is, it's a mental game for me. Um, it's also retraining the brain and how you think. Um, it's kind of like when in this relationship that I'm in, it's like I went for six years without a relationship because I was scared to death of relationships. I was fearful of things like traveling and doing things by myself. Well, years ago, I started doing that too. I mean, I have gone to 14 baseball stadiums all by myself. And, awesome. uh, yeah, and done things in sobriety I never would have thought I've ever would have done. I never would have. I have a bicycle that's sitting right behind this computer. I take it out 
and I do probably eight to 10 miles a night. And when I'm not at a ball game or something, and you know, I, I enjoy life. I, I, I like to be outside even in the heat or even in the cold sometimes. So um, I find it like serene and peaceful. I, I, I get something out of it. It's kind of my personal high. And I also get a kind mm-hmm. of a high, like when there's like a large like concert you go to and there's like, you know, yeah, people are doing their thing, but you feel the music. And, and I, I, and I have that kind of that, that feeling inside of my chest where some people would like a, a log cabin and maybe a quiet porch. Sometimes I like that too, but I also like New York city and like busyness and like, you know, scurry everywhere. And, and it's like weird. It, it makes my anxiety different. I don't know how to explain that. It's like in an emergency situation, my anxiety doesn't back away. It helps support me to fire and be like a leader in a way. But my yeah, anxiety. weird. You would think it would be the opposite. Right. And then my anxiety takes over in the quiet moments when I'm allowed to. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I would drink. I would drink. I would keep vodka in the in the car. I would keep vodka in a backpack. I would keep vodka under my bed. I would keep vodka hidden in places just in case somebody came over and they knew that I was a drinker. Which my parents were one of those people years ago, and they'd be coming in, look at my mom, you know, Italian mama. She'd be coming in, looking through everything. Where is it at? Where's that damn bottle at? Give me that bottle. And I always knew I could hide it. You know, I taped it up one time. I taped it under a under a, a desk on duct tape, and I taped the whole bottle. That way, she wouldn't find it. The links we go to. <laughs> so. Oh my God. Uh, oh, your sponsor. Do you have the same sponsor that you started with or have you changed through the years? This is my second sponsor, but he has been the majority. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. See, we, yeah. you and I have been to a few meetings together down at Unity. Yep. And I don't go down there anymore with working so, in traffic and all that, you know, stuff. I but. Know. Everybody has their own style. We just talked about that. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I'm on. I had a sponsor that I started with and had her for a few years. And then she moved to Florida. Broke my heart. <laughs> and then, I got, then with COVID, I got one that was in California. And so we just kind of talked on the phone. But then I realized I need someone here, you know, physical. So I have a sponsor now that lives here in Liberty and so yeah, sponsors are great, and you put on here that that's what uh, helps you a lot. Is just having you know a sponsor to talk to, um, gratitude. Well, list. yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the big deal. Is the is the is somebody just to vent to? I mean, just talking about it with you. I mean, you know, it already feels better than talking about it with a complete stranger. And even mm-hmm. though you're kind of a stranger, and we're both friends on social media, but. And we've been to meetings together, but in a way we don't really know, know each other. So, so it's like, do I really trust this person? But I do trust people in these meetings. I do trust people in recovery because we're giving our whole self, our whole inter like personality uh, secret, you know, whatever we're hiding so much inside, but we're giving it away in a meeting and we're, we're breaking an anonymity to other people letting people know okay i was a drunk i almost killed myself i was sleeping in the bathroom i did crazy things you know and here i am 10 years later removed and uh you know with a coin with an x and you know and it's like how in the hell did i get here you know and and then you think about like all the crazy experiences that i've 
you've been through, I mean, I, I've been through two car accidents sober. I've been through a death in my family. I've been through a major death this last year. My One of my closest best friends, I call a brother, died. I mean, I watched him die straight for in a month in, in the ICU, and he died from alcoholism. So, um, and that's what the <clears throat> death of So, um, you know, I mean, where do we, you know, when do people start realizing that alcohol is a major issue for this country, for this world. I mean, we, it stems back to, you know, we talk about gun control and we talk about, you know, all this other, all the, I don't want to get in political. We, we talk about all these political hot topics. Alcohol really has a lot for a lot of this stuff and it causes a lot of people's mental health differently. Um, I just think accountability, if a lot of people would be more accountable for themselves, like we are in our, in our program, I think maybe the world would be a happier place. I've always said, I've always said that if if I could, and and maybe I will someday, is take Super Jesus with me, get on the front of the plaza by the fountain, get a big banner, block off traffic like the people some people do, and say, <laughs> I am standing up for recovery. I'm going to protest recovery, and, and I'm going to shut this plaza down. I'm going to shut this city down until this whole city stops drinking for a day. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I just get so tired of people, and, I, and I, it's, it's sad. I get so tired of people ruining it for everybody. And even there's some really awesome people that socially drink out there. I have some amazing people in my family that have a glass of wine still or a beer or something like that. And I'm cool with that. And that took a long, long time for me to say I'm cool with that. But, yeah. Yeah. But, and that's their choice. But I, I feel like there's people out there that ruin it and, and they ruin it for us and they make us look bad because people go into meetings and then they don't, and then they go out there and, you know, do crazy stuff. And, and they're like, well, you know, they'll just go to an AA meeting and then they'll ask for forgiveness. Well, you know, you don't know the whole deal. So I try to work the 12 step. That's my main thing. I tell people, I just work the 12 step right now. And, um, when I was in California last week, I had some serious, um, issues going on in my head about some stuff that was going on in my life. I went to a meeting every day in California. I found a, a, a group called the rafters somewhere down in Santa Clarita and it was great. And, oh my gosh, I know those guys. They're awesome. The rafters, man. You feel like you're like you, you feel like you're going Lupe? upstairs. Did you see yeah. Lupe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah, the rafters. And then um one of my favorite groups on the East Coast is in New York on Houston Street. It's called Midnight and it's spelled M I D N I T E group. And they have an amazing uh well here for us, it's 9 p.m. They have an amazing 10 p.m. Zoom meeting in California, or not California, New York. And I, so every night I jump on the nine o'clock and I, I listen and talk. And there's actually a couple people from Kansas City now that go on that Zoom. And actually one person last night from Kansas City was chairing that meeting, which was crazy. Oh, so, man. Is it a big yeah. group that shows up? Like, is oh, it it's huge. 57 yeah. some people on there. Yeah. So. Yeah. You hear just like all kinds of different, and that's what I love. I love hearing different people's stories. I love hearing somebody else's opinion about it. And of course, I love my home groups and stuff, but I mean, it's always good to step out of the box. And that's one thing I tell people in recovery. You need to step out. You got to change it up. It's like for me, I I'm, I played baseball. It's like you got to, if you're not hitting the ball, you got to change your stance. You know, you got to get in the box and try something different, you know? So it's the same thing with recovery. If it's, if it's starting to become dry, you gotta, 
try other other avenues. So yeah. and don't take the first train and you, and then and just keep retrying. I mean, keep don't give up. That's the biggest thing too. So, you know. So you have a, you have a few guys that you sponsor. Uh, I've had people that I've sponsored. My problem is I'm horrible. I'm horrible at sponsoring people. I, and it's not that I don't try. They, I, I just, it's like, it's like a loving relationship. I feel like I'm, I, I've always felt like until this last, this current relationship, I always felt like that I was a horrible boyfriend. I don't know. I don't know why if I, if I just failed relationships or I've gotten better with, with in time because of recovery, but I have had um, some sponsees that either just moved away. So I just didn't have all failures, but right. uh, I still talk to guys on the phone and I get text messages. I get inboxes from people. You know, I, I'm not afraid to tell my story. Um, I'm not afraid to talk. I do. I have a YouTube channel that's dedicated to sobriety. So just some stories that I've told and, nothing that I'm trying to do like what you're doing. I really, a lot of respect for this and this is great. And uh, what a great service you're, you're offering people that are, are scared or maybe people that maybe like us in the beginning didn't know where to start. I don't know, but this is a great service and you know, whatever we can do to get the word name or word out. And that's what I was saying, get a banner, march down the plaza, let people know like, Hey, look, this is a real deal. And, and we have a lot of people dying out here. I mean, during COVID, I, I didn't lose anybody to COVID, but I lost three people to suicide and, and mm -hmm. it, and, you know, because of not being able to attend meetings, not be able to go because of fear of the, of the, of the, of the virus. And I understand that, but you know, at the same point, you know, it's like, thank God for zoom. So I zoom and I still do zoom. I mean, like I said, I just do, I do zoom every night at nine o'clock. So I go to an in-person either at six or eight down at unity. And then I do the nine o'clock in New York city. Um, sometimes I would, I'll jump into different meetings throughout America on the zooms. And, uh, when, and every time I'm out of town, I always go to a meeting in person. So you have the rafters, you have their zoom link. Um, I have not got on their zoom link yet, oh, okay. but I need to, I know they do have one. So yeah, yeah. I know. I'll have to find it and send it to you. Yeah. Well, exactly. you know, you know, Aaron, you remember Aaron, he used to go down to the plaza okay. <clears throat> and then he moved back to California, had the beard. Yes. Yes. And there's a girl too, that goes to Raptors that used to be at unity and her name, I think, um, well, I don't want to sell her name out. Uh, I but think they're I, dating, aren't they? But was he there? That's might have maybe that's the same one. She does yoga. I don't remember. Yeah, it is. Oh, that is her. Yeah. And okay, he's yeah. more. He shaved it. So, oh, so you did see him? Yeah, I did see them. Okay, I haven't heard from him forever. Okay, isn't that um, crazy? That's small. And they came up to me. I I was wearing a Royals hat, and I was sitting there at a meeting, and I they had asked if anybody was a guest, and I raised my hand, and then they everybody has to go up on stage to to talk. They don't just share in your seat like we do oh. at Unity. <laughs> so I get up there and then somebody yells out Kansas city. And I was like, I was like, what did I do? And so then I sit down and then after the meeting, they come over and, and they say, Hey Eddie, what's up? And I'm like, I'm horrible with names. I, I know faces that I'm horrible with names. I'm like, yeah. I know these, how do I know these people? Like, so, you know, I performed a lot in, um, in my twenties and I, I gigged in, uh, around, around the state of Missouri and different places and Lake of the Ozarks and, you know, uh, in New York for a few times, a few little bars up there. I mean, it just, it's just one of those things where this is a much better life. I would have never wanted to go back to all that fun and, and money that I was making. 
Uh, I would rather live the life that I'm now. And if I had to struggle financially sometimes to get through, uh, it seems like it always even evens itself out. Mm-hmm. So it all out. And, uh, you know, even Steven, as Jerry Seinfeld would say. So it just, it's just one of the, so. Yeah. Just have it nice. and uh, Yeah. Even boring. It's not boring, but I mean, just the chaos is gone and it's so nice. Like we have right. some serenity and that's, oh. Take that any day. (laughs) Yes, it does. I am watching the time. I don't want to make you late for the game. Okay. Because the first pitch is going to be happening. I can give you about four minutes if you've got one more question. One more question. Let's see. What would, okay, so you kind of already said what you would tell, like, the person. We'll just do it again. Uh, that's, That's sober curious or someone who's just new to sobriety, somebody that's struggling. I would say, um, you know, well, I don't know how brave people are anymore about in-person stuff because of everything that's happened in this last two years, but I would say, try to do an in-person meeting and see what it's like. If you don't feel comfortable, we have such great avenues now, obviously with the online stuff, you can don't even have to share your screen. You can, you can sit behind <laughs> a phone and just have some kind of profile picture of your cat or dog or whatever. And, and just, and just listen. And I know people that have gotten some years sobriety already from that. And they started out like that. And now they actually show their face in a meeting. And so it's so much different than maybe when I started, when I walked up those stairs at unity and um, multiple times. And uh, you know, I, I would say, just give it a try because it's way better than the other side. Cause we don't want to read about you on, on social media. We don't want to read about that. You, you know, self-inflicted this or took a swallowed this, or you, the toxicology report came out and we found out that this happened. And, you know, and then I, it's just, I, I'm tired of losing people or getting a tag in something. And did you hear about this? Or we lost this person, you know? Yeah. We may not die right away, but if you keep doing this to your body, you're going to end up killing yourself. You're going to end up in a car accident. You're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up in a hospital stay or worse. You know, who are you going to hurt next? Are you going to hurt yourself or somebody else? Even This is a horrible situation that alcohol and some drugs have done to people and it's getting worse out there. And, and only thing we can do is keep promoting what we're doing in a way, keep talking, keeping the conversation open. And I would say I would meet, I personally, I would take time for anybody. I would, I honestly would meet anybody down at the opera house in river market or any coffee shop, sit down and let's talk, just have a conversation. And I'm not trying to sell you anything. I don't want to sell anybody anything. I always tell people that I'm not trying to sell you nothing. Just, just come down and and let me, and and let me service you a a cup of coffee or whatever you want to drink. and, And let's just talk. And you know what, if you do that 10 times, great. At least maybe once you'll, maybe it'll click. So that's, that's my only thing. So, and we all need that sometimes just somebody to listen. <clears throat> that's, that's exactly what we need. And I think if we had more people listening to us, just talk out loud, it might be a lot better. That's why we are forced in a way to, to take that cell phone and dial that number when, when it might be just more comfortable to text message somebody or inbox them or DM them you know, and actually hear their voice. And now we have video chat. So like, talk to them like this. I mean, I mean, that's, it's, I don't, it, there's just so many different ways to communicate now. There's no excuse for people to, you know, hide in their depression and, and get behind, you know, their two ears that are telling them different things. So 
when you were talking so, about that, the mind, you know, and because, um, yeah, I also fought depression, attempted suicide, woke up in the hospital in a blackout and the surgeons trying to stitch, you know, me up. And and I was so obnoxious and they had to bring a cop in there. Yeah, <laughs> told me down because I was so I you're telling your story and I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that happened to me. But um, yeah, That's just good. I don't know. I don't even know where I got off now. I'm. I don't even know what I was saying. Yeah, it's part of the why we share is that it, it sometimes it, it triggers something in all of us. I mean, there's some part of everybody's story that I'll hear and I'll be like, wow. I mean, I can hear that in my story, you know, and that's part of why I got sober is that I would hear people share. I would hear what they would say and I would hear like some of those things that I want, man. I want to live my life like this. I, I never would have imagined getting on an airplane and doing the things I did because I have the financial security now to, well, not with this relationship, but sorry, Nina. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, honestly, I did have a lot more financial security when I was focusing on myself for a while. And you know what? And that's one thing also is when you get into sobriety, sometimes you just need to take time for you and stop trying to force love and trying to force physical, um, you know, uh, feeling and all that kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes we have to really, when we get into those moments, I mean, we, I, for me, I don't, I don't really do a lot of hit my knees praying anymore. I, I do pray and that's a whole different podcast, but, um, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we all have to have some sort of higher power in that form. Um, that's a whole, like I said, a whole different topic. So, um, but in those days I had to find my, my serenity and not try to take it out on like dating or, you know, sex or whatever else I had to find myself, you know, giving up stuff to figure out me. And when I finally started doing that, the marijuana, the sex, the different things, I started finally finding a lot of time. So, and that's when I started tacking up the time. So, but yeah. Yeah. Like they say, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And, um, what was it? One gal, I said, she's in a meeting and she said, you know, you don't add anything, this, you know, this stage of your life, you need to delete from your, from every, you know, not adding more to it, like more chaos or more, uh, up here, you know, just kind of delete. Somebody said, somebody, right. Somebody said actually today at work, they said, you know, delete your, delete your history. You know, you go and you, you hit your, your browser and you hit your, you hit clear all or whatever, maybe to clear out your cookies or your cash, whatever. Well, just clear it out in your head. You got to, you got to wake up in the morning and hit that button. And you got to say, you know, this has got to be a day that no matter what happens, I'm not taking a drink. I, this has got to be a day. I'm not going to swallow a pill or, you know, I'm not going to take a, you know, whatever. And I, 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 that's what I have to do a lot. And, and there's a lot of nights where I struggle real bad, but you know, between going to maybe a meeting in person or online or getting outside and maybe walking or running or biking or whatever I got to do it, it, I'll do it. I, I would rather do any of that than, than, well, I've eaten a whole gallon of ice cream before, so did not drink. So <laughs> that's okay. I used to smoke, Right. And I smoked cigarettes from the beginning. I don't know why I went in this tangent for the first two years. I started smoking, which was dumb. I think and a so lot now, of people, though. I think that you know, yeah. And I gave it up and I, and I've been, I haven't smoked a cigarette for years, but I still do chew on some nicotine gum once in a blue moon. Um, that's probably my only vice other than maybe a diet Coke and some coffee. So other than that, I do do, I do well in my water. I drink a gallon a day. I take good care of my, my eating habits. I do like a brownie and some ice cream, obviously here or there. So, 
And you said yeah. you're Italian. I mean, you can't give the food up. <laughs> no, no. I know. I mean, my mom's full and dad's not. So I'm half Italian. But yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely went through a lot growing up with always being, well, I still do. I go over mom, dad's, they always take good care of me food wise. So, yes. and, uh, you know, I don't shy away from a good meal on the weekends myself. I, I like a place called Corner Cafe. There's one out in Parkville or Riverside and then Liberty. And then also um, there's one in Independence. And, oh, my God, they make some of the best pie. And I will find myself going there by myself, ordering a piece of pie, and then have dinner. And you know what I do a lot of times when I go out with social drinkers and people that actually are out maybe, you know, doing whatever they want to do? I will order a dessert, and people will make fun of me and laugh at me. But – I'm like, you're drinking a martini. I'm going to have a strawberry shake. So I don't see a problem here. So no. mind you. And I'm not afraid to call people out about it either. So you know. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> but hey, it's been great talking with you. Thanks for inviting me. This is awesome. I love what you're doing. I, like I said, if there's anything I can do to get your name out and word out and whatever you're trying to do here, I, I would be more than happy to use my platforms to to reach out to others. Um, so I guess I'll just leave that up to you and what, how this works. So Earth thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Eddie. This is awesome. Yeah. I love it. You have yes. fun tonight. Go Royals. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.